Have your copy of Scripture, please find Mark, the second gospel, the second book that tells the good news, the story of Jesus. Mark chapter 12, and um, we're going to begin reading at verse 28. Mark 12, 28. Mark 12:28, and we're going to read through verse 34. One of the teachers of the law, a religious scholar, came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked Jesus, of, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. And he quotes from De- Deuteronomy 6, our text from last week. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied, you are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but him. And I'm just... I'm just kind of tickled by his response. You know, good answer, Jesus, like on Family Feud. You know, good answer. It's like I I picture myself in a classroom where somebody asks one of you rocket scientists about propulsion, and you answer, and I say, you know, that was a really good answer that you gave gave there. So Jesus, uh, excuse me, this man rather presumptuously said, Well said, teacher, you are right in saying that God is one and there's no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that He had answered wisely, Jesus said to this good man, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask Jesus any more questions. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, Jesus said to that good man, you are not far from the kingdom of God. He circled the circumference of God's kingdom, his reign, R-E-I-G-N, his rule, his intentions, his purposes. He promenaded around the periphery of God's kingdom. He wandered up to the window, and he looked in. He tiptoed over to the door and tapped on it, and although the door swung open, he remained outside on the porch. He was a sincere seeker. He was spiritually sensitive. But he remained on the outside. I'm talking, of course, about this religious scholar, this teacher who came to Jesus and asked, what is the most important of the commandments? And Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And, and the man answered, yes, that's, that's right. That's a good answer. And, and Jesus said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, or as it's translated in the message, you're almost there, right on the border of God's kingdom. 
Carrie and I, when we were missionaries in Nigeria, were driving one day, with, had the three kids in the back, had a little station wagon. We were having some, I was a little bit concerned about the car, so I knew there was a town up ahead, but I didn't know exactly how far, and so there was a man walking along the road, it happened to be a dirt road, and I, I pulled over and I asked him how far it was to whatever the name of that town was, and, um, and he answered in typical Nigerian fashion, he said, in Yoruba, he said, Ojina die, which means it's far small. And we laughed a little bit at that phrase, it's far small. What does that mean? Well, it means, it's a common phrase, it means you're almost there, but not yet. So Jesus said to this good man, between you and the kingdom, Ojina die, it's far small, but you're not quite you're not quite there. There is a line seen only by God himself that separates the in from the out of the kingdom of God. And this man had not yet crossed the line. Did he ever cross the line? We don't know. We can hope. But as the, at the time of the writing of this story, he, had, he was a good man who had not yet entered the kingdom of God. You're almost there. And when Jesus said to him, you're not far, I believe he said it with more than just, as more than just an observation. I believe he said it with a pleading in his voice. Come on, man, you're almost there. Uh, guy named Jay Winston Pierce, decades, decades ago, wrote about this story and, and called this man a religious gypsy. Now, we know now that the word gypsy is not, is not a preferred term. It, Roma people is the much better term. But he, decades ago, he didn't know that. So he said, this man is a religious gypsy. And he said that because uh, the Roma people had the reputation for camping just outside the city limits of a town when they, they were nomadic. It's changing of, of recent, but they were a nomadic people and they would camp. They had a history of camping just outside the city limits. The first I ever heard of, of gypsies as I, that I recall was in the an episode of the Andy Griffith show where the gypsies camped right outside the city limits. In that episode, they didn't want to pay uh, the, the fee for doing business inside the city limits, so they camped just outside the city limits, and people from town would come out to buy their wares. But in reality, the Roma people would often camp outside the city limits, not always because they wanted to, because the, the, the Roma people were looked down upon, and there were lots of people who didn't want them in their town, and so by necessity, they would camp just outside the city limits. So I understand the point that J. Winston Pierce was trying to make, calling him a religious gypsy. He had camped right outside the parameters, right outside the margins of the kingdom. In fact, Winston Pierce said there's still a lot of religious gypsies. He made up a little poem about it that said, um, the, the, though heaven's gates are open wide, still the gypsies camp outside. There are people still who who are just outside the parameters, the limits, if you will, of the kingdom of God. I want to try to answer four big questions quickly. Number one, what is the kingdom of God? Number two, is there really an outside and an inside? Number three, what does it mean to be outside? And number four, how do you get in? So number one, what is the kingdom of God? Simply, it is the reign, again, R-E-I-G-N, or the rule of God. Wherever God's purposes and intentions are fulfilled, there is the kingdom. We pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, 
Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a parallelism, two ways of saying the same thing. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, both meaning the same thing. If I say it's a gorgeous day, it's beautiful, that's a parallelism, two ways of saying the same thing. In the Bible, there are lots of those. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven, everything that God wants is. Every, all his purposes are fulfilled. And when, wherever on, the, on earth that occurs, then there is the kingdom. The kingdom of God is in the human heart that is conformed to the purposes of God. The kingdom of God is in the family where they love each other and they live according to God's standards. The kingdom of God is in the hospital room where people pray with hope and confidence for healing, but submit themselves to the wise purposes of God, whatever are the outcomes. The kingdom of God is in the dorm room when the student says, God, I want to do more than just make a living. I want to help fulfill your purposes on earth. So if you will lead me to the right vocation for me, I will follow. The kingdom of God is in the prison cell when the prisoner says, my choices have been wrong and catastrophic. And so I submit to you. I'm not bargaining, God. I just submit my, the rest of my life to you. Wherever the the will and purposes and intentions of God are on earth. There is the kingdom. Is there an outside and an inside? Second question, to the kingdom of God. Let me be clear, there is no outside to the love of God. You can't sin badly enough or sink lowly enough to be beyond his love. There's no outside, there is no beyond his presence. Psalm 139, how can I, where can I flee beyond your presence? And the answer is nowhere. You can't run far or fast enough to be where he is not. However, there is an outside and an inside to his kingdom. There's a line known only to God himself, that mysterious line that separates the outside from the inside. And it is not my job to declare who's in and who's out. That, that is done not by committee and not by volunteer. God reserves the right to that, for that decision, of that decision for himself. But it is my responsibility to say there is an out, there's an in, and everybody is not in. The kingdom of God is the rule, the purposes, the intentions of God. The, is there an outside and an inside of the kingdom? Yes, there is. What does it mean to be, third question, what does it mean to be outside? Well, to be outside the kingdom it, it, is a series of not yets. This man in the story was not yet in the kingdom, a good man who had good theology, but he had not yet crossed that line into the kingdom. He was sympathetic to the cause of Jesus. He was interested in Jesus, attracted to Jesus. But Jesus knew there's a difference between being sympathetic toward him and attracted to him and being fully in the kingdom. There was a line he had not yet crossed. Like, remember the Alamo when Colonel Travis drew that, supposedly drew that line in the sand? He knew there were people who were sympathetic to the cause of Texas independence. He knew there were people who were attracted to a good adventure. But he wanted to know, is there more than sympathy and attraction here? Are you all in? There is a line beyond sympathy toward Jesus, beyond attraction to Jesus that says, I'm either out or I'm in 
the kingdom and to be in or to be outside the kingdom to be outside the kingdom is a series of not yet it means that person has not yet experienced what Jesus called a new birth in John 3 that transformation so beautiful that Jesus said it's like being born again that person outside the kingdom has not yet passed from death to life John 5 Jesus spoke of that conversion from being spiritually dead to being spiritually alive at this point where the Spirit of God comes to live in us and illumine us and empower us so the person still outside the kingdom is has not yet passed from death to life and it's in 2 Corinthians 5 the Bible talks about being a new creation the Bible says in Christ we are new creations the old things have passed away and the new things have come the person outside the kingdom has not yet crossed the line into becoming a new creation the kingdom of God is the reign, the rule, the purposes of God. There is an outside and there is an inside. And the one still outside is the one who, is, who may be very close, but who has not yet crossed uh, the line into the kingdom. Okay, so the fourth question. How do, how do you cross that line? How do, you, how do you get in? Well, let's begin with Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has saved him from the dead, then you will be saved another way of saying you will enter the kingdom so then let me ask could you with all your heart confess that Jesus is Lord not just of the universe uh, but of your life meaning that his teachings are what you go by meaning that he's the one you turn to for big decisions meaning that 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 you prioritize him above all other all other things and people do you, could you really with all your heart confess that Jesus is Lord and do you believe that God has raised him from the dead, which is more than a historical fact. It means that, that he is now unique among all religious figures and worthy of, of all that we are and all that we have. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God has raised him from the dead. You, you pass that mystical line known, un, known, known only by God. And, and here's another question. Am I in? Am I out? Is he your king? We're talking about the kingdom of God, the kingdom of King Jesus. If he's your king, you're in. If he's not, you're out. Years, a few years ago, the living Christmas tree theme was about the king or birthday or something. I remember in my devotion, I, I, I talked about going to see the king in Nigeria when we lived there. And, and we enjoyed going to his house, the palace. He was always so gracious to missionaries. Whenever we had guests from the States, we'd always take them to see the king of Abomashaw land. We called him the Shaun. When we'd go see him, the kids, you might remember, the kids were always more interested in the turtle than they were the king, which was a whole other sermon in and of itself. But there was this big, huge old turtle they'd ride. <clears throat> I liked going to the house of the king, but he was not my king. I liked his family. His favorite wife came to our house one time. Yes, he had several and had a favorite, and she came to our house one time. I liked his family. But he was not my king. I admired him. But he was not my king. I lived in a territory over which he had significant authority. But he was not my king. 
And it's more than likely, I believe, that someone in this room or watching by television or live stream would say, I like going to his house. But you'd have to say he's not my king. I like his family. Some of my best friends, you might say, are followers of Jesus. But, but you couldn't say he's my king. You might say, I love celebrating his big days, you know, Christmas and Easter. But, but you couldn't say, he's my king. There's a pretty simple answer as to whether or not one is in the kingdom or out of the kingdom. I don't determine that. But is he your king? Is he the one you look to? whose life you look to, whose teachings you look to for examples for living. Is he the master of your life? Is, the, is, he, is he the boss of all your decisions? Is he your priority above all else? The kingdom of God is the reign, the rule, the purposes, the intentions, the complete intentions of God. There is indeed an outside and an inside of the kingdom. And although I'm not in charge of saying who's in and who's out, there are there's some who are not in. To be outside the kingdom means not yet having crossed that mystical line, not only by God himself. Jesus called it being born again and passing from death to life, and Paul called it becoming a new creation. And the easiest way to answer, am I in or am I out, is, is he your, is he your king? There's almost certainly someone listening to me uh, who is almost persuaded uh, and almost home. I grew up where we sang, Mark and I were talking about it a couple of weeks ago. That invitation, we'd almost, not always, but often would sing that invitation hymn, Almost Persuaded. Anybody remember that? Almost persuaded, now to believe almost persuaded Christ to receive? Seems now some soul to say, go spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on, on thee I'll call. Almost persuaded. And, and so it's, I think it's more than likely that someone is listening to me who would say, I'm almost there. I'm almost persuaded. So why are you hesitant? Maybe you've been hurt by a church. I get that. The Lord of the church is perfect. The people of the church are not. And I know people have been hurt by the church. And so you may say, I'm almost persuaded, but there's this scar, this hurt, this memory of being treated badly by a church. I get it. So you're almost persuaded. Or maybe you've been hurt by God himself. You prayed, maybe for the healing of someone you loved, and, and, and maybe you lost that person, and so you were disappointed, maybe in God himself, and so you're almost persuaded, you're almost there, but you can't get beyond that memory and that disappointment. Almost persuaded. Or maybe you're ashamed. Maybe you think, based on the, the decisions I've made, I, I would never belong in the family of God. You know that's... In your mind, I hope you know that's a lie. If, if you could just know it in your heart, that the devil himself plants that, that doubt in your mind. And so maybe you're ashamed, and you're, so you're almost, 
almost persuaded. Or if I may be so bold, maybe, you, maybe it's a matter of commitment. Maybe you're not quite ready for commitment. You're thinking, if I become a follower of Jesus, I'll have to change this and change that. And, and maybe you're just not quite ready for that. But you're almost uh, persuaded. I would, for the love of God, I invite you into the, the kingdom. It's not a kingdom of perfect people. But it is a kingdom with a perfect king. And I don't know what you're waiting on. Some people are almost persuaded. And some people are almost home. The royal charter was a luxury liner in the 19th century. In 1859, the Royal Charter, with more than 400 crew and passengers, sailed out of Liverpool for a long and luxurious voyage. It took them to Melbourne, Australia, and back. On October the 25th, 1859, word reached Liverpool that the Royal Charter was less than 24 hours away, that it would arrive on the morning of October 26th. So hurriedly, plans were made. On the morning of October the 26th, dignitaries gathered, politicians gathered, family gathered, tourists gathered, bands gathered to play and to welcome home the people of the Royal Charter. What they did not know as they gathered and waited was that late in the evening of October 26th, early in the morning, uh, October 25th, early in the morning of October 26th, 1859, the Royal Charter, just off the coast of North Wales, sailed into unnavigable waters. The ship went down, and almost all of the nearly 450 crew and passengers died. They'd already gathered in Liverpool, when word began to spread that the Royal Charter, less than 12 hours away, that the Royal Charter had gone down. There would be no homecoming, and there would be no celebration. A pastor, Dr. William Taylor, in Liverpool, William Taylor had a member of his church who was the, the first mate on the crew of the Royal Charter, so he had the responsibility of going to the home of the first mate to deliver the bad news. He said, I felt like an executioner walking up the sidewalk to that step, to that house. As he approached the house, a little girl, he said, with bouncy curls, came running out. She'd seen him. She said, oh, I thought you, I thought you were my daddy. He's coming home today. Dr. Taylor walked into the house. He saw the the dining room table set with breakfast to celebrate the return of the man of the house. His wife walked out and saw Dr. Taylor. She apologized. She said, oh, Dr. Taylor, you've caught us in the middle of, of preparation. My, my husband will be home soon, and we're going we're gonna to have a celebratory, welcoming meal. 
Dr. Taylor took her hands in his. And he said, I am so sorry. But last night, uh, the royal charter went down and your husband was lost at sea. Stunned. She eventually cried. It can't be. It can't be. Almost home, but lost. I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to guilt you. And I don't want to scare you. But why would you remain just outside the kingdom? Please don't, please don't continue almost home. Uh, but lost. We would love to talk with you about that. And, and I understand that some, some people feel uncomfortable coming forward. And so this week, I, I'd say you can call the church office. Any one of us would love to talk with you about that. If you're watching and you're maybe connected to another church, someone at that church would love to talk with you about that. But you might be ready. You, you, you might be like Caleb and say, I've made the decision and I haven't gone public. We'd, we'd love to welcome you into the church and celebrate your, your homecoming. 472 is the uh, number we're going to sing.